I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Let's get straight into it and introduce a man who's been to every Grand Prix since 1998. The only person that Martin Brundle yields to on a gridwalk, it's Joe Saywood. How's it going, Joe? 88. I said 88, Joe. Stop lying. You said 98 again. You keep, I don't know, honestly. You, you keep getting yourself into trouble on grid walks. We saw Brundle savagely pushing you out of the way on telly. Yeah, well, you know, as, I, as I was saying before, Martin and I go back a ways, so you know, I, will, um, I will butt into his conversations and he will butt into mine, which is fair enough. Do you ever try and get yourself on telly? Is there, is there a, a temptation to kind of wave and hold up a sign? There are a whole bunch of journalists whose sole purpose in life is to be spotted on the grid, looking very learned and looking at the cars as though they have a faintest idea what they're looking at. And you can see them if you if you look on each individual uh, race. And what they're doing is they're showing the editors back home that they are actually at the race, um, as opposed to just sort of lolling about by a swimming pool. Um so, yeah, some of them do. And occasionally I have been known to sort of sneak into a French TV shot just to keep the uh, the wife and my French mob happy. Um, but I don't I don't sort of do it deliberately quite often. What normally happens on the grid is I'm it's the one opportunity I get where everybody um, comes out of hiding. So I'm rushing around like a like a, um, a busy person as opposed to a blue ass fly. Um, and um, I am trying to catch as many people as I can. So generally speaking, I will go crashing through TV um, stuff. I try to avoid sort of walking through the middle of interviews and stuff. And occasionally I get interrupted by TV crews. But it's not just the British, you know. There's a whole, you know, there's sort of 15 nationalities all with crews out there all doing their stuff. So it's quite difficult to avoid getting mixed up with some of them. So, um, yeah, but I don't set out to do it apart from, as I said, once or twice on French TV just to prove I'm there. 
I would do Good that one. if I when I'm eventually invited on the grid to record live missed apexes on the grid walk. That'll be my sole purpose as well. Uh, but you were talking well, just about... Have, just have a T-shirt that says Hello Mum on it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's know? the one. And a cl- like and subscribe, click the bell. That's what everyone watching this should do now. Subscribe to the channel and click the bell to get a notification when we go live. Are you talking about they, they look at the cars, looking learned, stroking their beards? Do you, yes. Uh, you don't seem to do that. Like, I don't... You never, like, are looking at the cars and, like, going, oh, look at the flick up no, in the floor. Wh- wh- why, would I, why would I look at a car? I haven't got the faintest idea. If I was an aerodynamicist, I'd be earning a lot more money <laughs> and, and understanding what it means. So pretending that I know what it means um, makes no sense at all. And, um, and, I, and I fully admit I have no clue as to what one little flick will do. But anybody who claims they does as a journalist, I'm afraid, is, is, a, is a kind of a fraud, I think, because otherwise they'd be working in aerodynamics. It's uh, well, you, you, I think you can report on the, the tech news and report on like, what well, people are You can are report on there's an it. extra bump if you can spot one. There are some people who are good at spotting bumps on cars. But honestly, I mean, I, I, I just think it's a, a fairly pointless beard-wagging exercise beard wagging we've got some questions from your twitter followers today joe uh, mm-hmm. but yeah just well we're on this subject though of looking at the cars obviously when you first started reporting and being on grids they were like cigar tubes with big wagon wheels on them but do you do you rate the modern cars and do you still look at them and go wow well every time you look at a formula one car you look at it and go wow because they're amazing things but um yeah in my in my entire career they've always been amazing things because i my entire career has encapsulated the carbon fiber era which is the most amazing thing i remember many many years ago i went with a uh, rocket uh, designer who was a actually he was my father-in-law at the time and he'd been involved in rocket design in the uh, in the 1960s and uh, he came to a race and and i took him around and he was in absolute awe of these machines he was just gobsmacked by what he was seeing the technology and he he, he was absolutely fascinated um, and he started talking to an engineer I introduced him to. And the engineer said, what's your background? And he told him. So there were these two people staring in awe at each other. Um, it was very funny to watch because one was impressed by the <laughs> rocket designer and the other one was impressed by the quality of the machinery. And that gives you an idea of what Formula One's really about. It is, it is really extraordinary stuff. And I appreciate that. And you appreciate these things when they when they come whizzing down to the to the back of the grid and stop. You know, you look at these things and just the pure animal power of these machines is fantastic. And so, yes, I appreciate that. But in terms of the little details, the aerodynamic <laughs> flips and all the rest of it, I think it's just all bull um, that people can actually say, well, this makes a difference of three-tenths of a second. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Well, that's why I subcontract out tech time because I can't, I can't see any difference. Like, look at this incredible upgrade. I can't see. And I'm like, I can't see anything. I'd best nod along, though. I'd best nod along. All right. Well, I think, I, you know, the, the, the fact is that there are people who, I think an awful lot of them are frauds, uh, people who, who say that they can spot the differences and what will make a difference. Um, but, you know, maybe they're not. But then again, I go back to the same point. If they know all this sort of stuff, why aren't they aerodynamicists? Because there's far more money in it. I wonder if Bob Mallet is an aerodynamicist. Seems like a, it seems like he wouldn't be. Seems he'd be more of a, a percussive drummer. But Bob asks a question in your Twitter replies. He says, uh, well, this is the big news, isn't it? Regarding the Alpine deal, what sort of return would the investors be getting 
or is it a hold and sell later for profit kind of plan? Uh, and Ritesh asks, what are your thoughts on the Alpine deal if you haven't already addressed it? What changes for Alpine now? Is this, is this their slow burn out of F1? And yeah, so Ryan, Ryan Reynolds and, and Ralph Moore asks, is Ryan Reynolds going to drive an F1? No, I think he's like 45. There you go. What, what do you think, Joe? This is, this is okay, glamour, though, isn't it? From the top. Hollywood. Uh, this, is, this is a bunch of US investors going in because they think the value of the team will go up. They're not expecting and they won't get um, any sort of serious money back on the, on the year-by-year basis. I'd be amazed they get anything. But they all think that they'll probably double their money, and so they're winning. They're all coming charging in. Um, as to what it will do for Alpine, it gives them a load of money because Renault had very tight budgets, and it, the budgets were so tight that it didn't mean that Alpine could do everything they wanted to do because Renault wasn't willing to pay for it. So they've got about two hundred and eighteen million dollars will go into their bank account, and they can spend that on new machines, new people and upgrading to make them more competitive. So it's a big deal for them. It's a big deal for them because it values the team at $900 million. That's a big deal for yeah. everybody in Formula 1 because that means all the valuations will go up because they, you know that will that will sort of set the latest trend. I mean, we've been expecting it. I was expecting about 850 and but you know it's, that was 6 months ago when this deal was first discussed. It's been around for a long time. And and six months ago, they were talking 850. If it's gone up to nine, that tells you the rate that it's it's growing at. As to Ryan Reynolds, um, <laughs> he's just an investor. Um, he came to a race a while ago, probably enjoyed it, thought this was quite a good idea, wouldn't do any harm. And I think I think you can see that from Alpine's point of view, there are some, I mean, Reynolds is, is a minor player in this. I know that sounds a silly thing to say, but he's only a very small part of that group and the group was full of some very interesting people with all kinds of connections um and some very powerful people in the sports um marketing world um so there's lots of advantages um in doing it the other thing was it was about the only equity that was left available um i've gone around the teams and sort of said are you selling anything mm. and uh you'd be amazed i've been completely amazed by <clears throat> People just saying, absolutely not. And I said, well, look, I might have somebody who's worth a lot of money. In fact, I've had a number of people asking me if they could um, find a way in. And uh, so I have been around. In fact, I did have some chats with Alpine about this very subject. Somebody yeah. approached me and said, can you do this? And I said, sure, I can for a small financial consideration <laughs> if if it comes out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I've talked around the teams and there is no equity available, no matter how much money you've got. So um, explain Alpine's, that to me a bit. So, so what does that mean? What 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 do you mean by nobody's no? selling? Oh, I see. There's no stock. Nobody will sell you one percent of a racing team now. Now mm. the Alpine deal is done. They've got fifteen. If they've sold twenty five, they've got about fifteen left. They could sell, but they're not going to, as far as I understand it. This deal may include um, uh, increasing the percentage later on. We're not sure about that as yet, but they might increase up to about forty if certain things happen. So um, it's just investing. And uh, if you look at the price of NFL teams and other sporting franchises around the world, um, you'll see they're all going up at crazy rates. An NFL team is being sold at the moment for $6 billion. So, and 
Wow. When you look at it like that, you can see it's a good investment because there are 34 NFL teams and they're only in one market ultimately, which is the US. There are 10 Formula One teams. In other words, they're more rare and they are global. So in theory, the Formula One team should be worth more than the NFL teams. Work that one out. That's six. You know, it could be worth yeah. six times what they're putting into it. So I saw like, well, I think when Liberty Media took over, and I'm sure you'll know the figures, uh, the purchase price from CVC was a few billion. 4.4. 4.4. Okay. But uh, the recent valuation is like many, many times that. 19 the last time I looked, yeah. I mean, that's, that's significant, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, and it's not, stopped, it's not stopped going up yet. I mean, it's still going to be going up for a while. So um, Formula One is, is growing and, and we're growing in the world's biggest market. Um, it's interesting to see NFL. I mean, there's going to be, there are going to be some uh, games played in the autumn in London, I believe. But I'm reliably informed that the Baltimore Ravens will play the somebody's okay. at Tottenham, at Tottenham oh. in October. Um, and these are, the, you know, they're trying to spread the word about NFL around the world. But if you can't have a sort of regular season activity, it's going to be very hard to get fans. Whereas Formula One can expand globally. So, you know, I think Formula One's a really good investment. Oh, well, we've got. Good I don't have any money to invest, but <laughs> if I did, I would have invested in it. Well, I've got a good follow-up on the value of F1 from, from Terry. We'll do Terry's question next, but I think you might have called Ryan Reynolds American. He's Canadian. He's getting corrected there. Uh, but he... Uh, he's, he's part of an American group. Right, okay. right. Okay, okay. I um, believe that the group in question is registered in America. <laughs> but obviously, people will point to his acquisition of Wrexham and what he did from a media point of view. Is there any feeling yeah, you know, it this won't is do a... any harm? It won't do yeah. any harm for Alpine for Ryan Reynolds to show up. You know, yeah. any anybody who shows up and and uh, and has that much profile, it's a good. But you know, will it drive up the value because he's Ryan Reynolds? I don't know. Maybe he'll make a few movies about Alpine. He does make. He has a sort of little movie making empire outside his mm. his regular one, which he controls. So. Um, yeah, I was just looking at the scale of his wealth, and I think he, they're being tipped. Him He's and not his... massively wealthy compared to some of these big boys. No, but I think they're tipping him to be, you know, a billionaire. He's got like his gin company and stuff, so he does like he will have money to make a more significant investment. But if a team is valued, say, purchase price of about a billion, and that's Alpine, then uh, you you really kind of up the scales for for what it takes for someone to come in and just go right. I'm going to buy an existing franchise if there was one available which there seems not to be yeah i mean that's the thing that's why um michael andretti's trying to start his own team because he couldn't buy one he could have bought one he could have bought the salva team but then they decided against it for some reason they decided they didn't want to do that deal probably because audi came knocking on the door and offered them more money or more stability or more something um but uh, that's why he's starting his own team or trying to uh, to get in on that thing. And that's one of the reasons also why people are not very keen on having new teams because um, they, they're they trying to equalize yeah. the, the, uh, the, the performance to some extent by, by balancing up the finances of the teams. They don't need two weak teams joining them. That's, and this, is, this is interesting. Sorry, Terry, we've got a pause. Way, way relevant question from uh, Tanush. who says, hi, Joe. Do you expect prospective new entrants like Andretti and high-tech I had high techs mm -hmm. at school uh, to be allowed in if they're ready to pay a higher buy-in clause. And what would the new value of the exp uh, expansion clause be? Five hundred million. I think I heard one billion touted as well, and so has Tanush. Well, yeah, but you can read a lot of rubbish on the internet. Um, 
I I think that it would be very very um, ill advised of the Formula One group and the teams in the next commercial contract to have um, a massive um, anti dilution clause. That's what it's supposed to be, because there's a point at which it ceases to be about dilution and it becomes um, anti competitive. And I think they're in a danger of if they go too high. You know, I think I think the theory is that they might go to six hundred because that's three times what it is now. Two hundred. Two hundred is the anti-dilution clause for one year. That's just about justifiable. Three years. There used to be a thing in Formula One a few years ago when you didn't earn prize money for the first three years unless you did good performances in two of the three. So you could, in theory, argue it, um, but you are you are skating on the edge of anti-competitive behavior. And the, and the European Competition Directorate is very, very hot on making sure that Formula One, because Formula One took the mickey 20-odd years ago, um, and then were pushed into shape by the Competition Directorate with a, with a very clear sort of set of regulations as to what they couldn't do, what they couldn't, couldn't do. And so, you know, it would be very unwise um, of Formula One to, to appear to be anti-competitive. And... Uh, you can bet some of the teams who think that they're important enough to come in would be upset enough to probably take legal action um, if they were not granted entries. But having said that, they don't have much of a case if they have um, silly elements in their packages like um, the team will be based in the US. That is impractical, in my opinion. Um, And I think in the opinion of the people who make the decisions, uh, basing a team in the US doesn't make any sense. Um, there might be questions about some of the money supply. There are, you know, right and proper person um, clauses involved in all this. Um, so, for example, if you're a Russian uh, backer, you're going to be in deep trouble. It's, I'm afraid that's, you know, whether you like it or not, that's a reality um, <clears throat> because of sanctions and all the rest of it. So uh, I believe high tech's got some Kazakh money behind them. Okay. Um, they're all um, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if they're all right or not. It's not for me to decide if a Kazakh billionaire is, is a good guy or a bad guy, but that's something that will be decided upon by others. Um, but I don't see anybody getting uh, an entry unless they bring a manufacturer with them. I think that is, that is for me, that's the key. Um, and uh, GM is supposedly coming with Andretti, but it's only notional. It's not... It's not. No, it's not. Uh, it's we, not ha- an engine. we have a commitment to come and build our own engine. At the moment, they've got a commitment to come and badge an Alpine engine. Yeah, they're going to do some hybrid parts, right? Yeah, but that's yeah. really not. not um, an engine. You know that. Well, it's a bit like Alfa Romeo, isn't it? They're getting a free ride on Formula One. There is nothing about Alfa Romeo apart from a check that that actually uh, is involved in Formula One. It's a Ferrari engine and a Sauber chassis. They call it Alfa Romeo. And they probably pay them X million a year. But that's a free ride on Formula One. And if I were, and Bernie used to do this all the time, nobody gets a free ride in Formula One. You want to come in, you pay. You pay the going rate as a manufacturer. At the moment, nobody's insisting that Alfa Romeo does that. But I can see them sort of saying, you know, this isn't um, how we do it. Again, if, is that competitive, anti-competitive? I don't know. But certainly Bernie used to say, uh, no no car manufacturers for example um race sponsors if you look back 
you'll find in the mid 80s there were a few races sponsored by car manufacturers and that died out um because bernie nah you're not doing that for 10 mil you know uh it's not bernie it's not. are you here <laughs> well there used to be the mitsubishi grand prix of australia at one point i seem to remember uh-huh. and that got axed so and nowadays i noticed that that Honda has become a sponsor of a race somewhere. I think it must have been the Japanese Grand Prix. Um, but, you know, that's a, a slight change in, in the philosophy. But it is, it is a, cheap, it's a cheap way of uh, jumping on the Formula One bandwagon. So You do drop the odd alarming impression there, Joe. One day we'll, we'll hear your Murray Walker, maybe one day. Uh, this is great. In, so, <laughs> oh, no, no, that's not bad. Um, I, I have to say, look, this is why I love speaking to you, because you, you have a genuine understanding of the business of Formula One. You've got your finger in every pie. Everybody calls you and texts you, which is great. Um, so I, I will linger on one more businessy type question, if that's okay. Uh, Terry Worth, he says, given the, their investment in other sports, live golf, various football clubs, do you see the Middle East taking over F1 or team investment? I've seen, I've seen there seems to be an idea to move McLaren to the golf. Any truth or likelihood? Or could they set up their own series? Well, um, they can't set up their own series because it's mad to do that. Um, you have to be, if you want to be the world championship, the only people allowed to have world championships are the FIA. They have a lock on that. Um, so you can't set up your own system of world championships. You can't license your own people. So in other words, you'd need to have an entirely uh, different crew and an entirely different section of uh, licensing. And if you did that, half the circuits wouldn't join you anyway because they want to stay with the FIA. So basically, it's impossible and always has been impossible to set up a rival championship. So that's not going to happen. Um, in terms of, they've got lots of money in the Middle East, some more than others. That deal, the recent deal with uh, Bahrain and Saudi, Bahrain buying Saudi out of McLaren, I think was just paying a debt, to be honest. Um, I think the Saudis loaned them some money um to keep McLaren uh moving along. And I think that was just, you know, buying the shares back and giving them the money back. Um so th- there are limits to what people can spend in Formula One. The Saudis have got an awful lot of money. If you're gonna pay a footballer two hundred million a year, you've got a lot of money to burn. But there are limits to what you can spend. Um and there are also limits to what people want. You know, um some teams would be willing to sell out for enough money. But some teams wouldn't because they're in it for a different reason. So we'll see how it all goes. But I don't see, I don't see any massive takeover, and certainly not in the short term, anyway. All right. Okay. Good. Should we get onto some driver stuff, Joe? Because people do yeah, like why not? people love a driver rumor. I think the biggest one doing the rounds at the moment is probably you know, Daniel Ricciardo's future. So let's see what is that in might your... be Lewis Hamilton's future. Yeah, yeah. We've got a Lewis Hamilton question as well. Uh, let's see there we'll skip the Checo one uh, so look let's 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 put it for, from this way Blair asks what's your viewpoint on Liam Lawson and how does he get himself into the conversation at least from a, a general pundit media point of view for the Alpha Towery seat and what Blair is picking up on I think is that no one seems to think that Liam Lawson has a realistic shot of, of going up in the Red Bull program I think Liam Lawson has to uh, win the Super Formula in Japan if he does that then he will be um, on the radar of uh, – that's why he's there. He got sent out there to uh, to impress Pierre Gasly that happened to him as well. And he did impress and came back and joined 
you have to remember that AlphaTauri is supposed to be the junior team for Red Bull. Mm. And so putting in Daniel Ricciardo is hardly a junior team activity, <sighs> is it? He's 30, 34, I think. <laughs> well, he, he's, he's, he's on his way um, in the other direction, let's put it that way. So Liam Lawson would be a sensible bet in as much as he is a Red Bull driver. He's come up with Red Bull, which is more than can be said for Nick DeVries. They put in Nick DeVries because they couldn't think of anything else to do. Um, uh, when Because they weren't expecting uh, Gasly to disappear off to Alpine originally. Uh, and then when Al, when they did sort of work out a deal, because Pierre wanted out, um, then they had to find somebody else. And they didn't have any people in their scheme left and available. So I'd be more... Likely, it would be more likely to see Daniel Ricciardo going into Perez's seat if Perez continues to underperform. Um, I can't honestly see uh, Yuki moving up, but some people like to think that. Well, the other thing is Yuki's a Honda driver, so you know it's it's all a little bit based on Honda. And if Honda are pulling out of Formula One or going off to play with Aston Martin in the future, which is another strange deal, but you know Aston Martin. Uh, Yuki's much more likely to end up at Aston Martin, I would have thought. No. No, I'm pushing I'm pushing hard. I'm pushing the rumour, the Yuki to Red Bull rumour. I'm pushing that as hard as well, I can. You can push it as hard as you like. It won't make it happen, will it? Oh, but I wanted it to, Joe. Um, yes, mind- I know, but Yuki's a bit of a, a bit of a headbanger. He's quick, but he just keeps having mistakes and accidents. He's getting better He's been over consistent time. this season so far. Uh, yeah, he's done okay. That's a bone. Yeah, he's done, yeah, I mean, but has he done okay enough to, for, mm. for Helmut Marco to go, yes, we will put him in the big team now? Um, and, the answer is, <laughs> and the answer is probably not. Mm. So I keep thinking that Perez only had a one-year deal. Is it right that he's got, he's got two years at Red Bull He does still? have a two-year mm. deal. But, you know, when you have lots of money, it's just a matter of saying, well, there you go, there's your salary, right. off you go. Yeah. You know, we don't need you anymore. We've got better options, but we'll pay you to get rid of you. So. Um, and then you, your manager can claim image damage and all this sort of stuff, at which point you'll be told to bog off again. Um, okay. And and basically yeah. um, the response to that would be, well, you haven't delivered on the goods. We'll pay you. We're being generous. That's that's all you need, really. Yeah, so Tanner was, had a, a question similar saying, do you have any actual word on, on Perez's seat uh, or will they, you know, will they try and see out his contract? Because is there anything, any murmurs? Because obviously he's getting a lot of. There, there uh, are murmurs. That he's not doing a good job. Yeah, you don't need the murmurs. There are people screaming it from the rooftops. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's screaming it from the rooftops. Look at me, I'm doing a terrible job. Um, you know he's just not delivering, and you can't afford to be in the best car and be finishing fourth. You know it's just not good enough. So whatever it is has got into him. Um. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? But he's just not doing the job. And and that will be, you know, it's fine. When you're this far ahead, it doesn't matter. Red Bull are not going to get beaten this year in any way, shape or form because Max is, is so far ahead and Perez has done just about enough to um, to guarantee them that they'll get the constructors as well. But if the other opposition get closer next year, you're going to have to have a better number two because Perez's performance is as we're seeing at the moment, are not good enough to guarantee you a Constructors' Championship if the opposition is closer. Hmm. So the boring answer is probably that Perez will be broadly fine over the course of the season because he's had, he's had a peak, hasn't he? And then he's having a trough. So the most boring answer is probably the same lineup for 24 
and then Sonoda plus one. I I wouldn't be hundred percent sure on that. I think uh, it depends on what happens in the races ahead. Here we go. That's what I was trying to get to, Joe. I was trying to get to. There's a real. Is there a real risk that they go? That's that's it for Perez. Yes, there is. Mm. I would say so. And they dump. I see the thing is, I would I would be I'd be upset as a Yuki fan if they decided to put Ricardo in there, who. Has, Who's won more races, Ricardo or Yuki? Yeah, but look, there's potential with Sonoda, isn't it? We've seen all of Ricardo's potential. He's been yeah, know, but, bang average but, at times. At yeah, best. But he's also been bang brilliant at other times. So, you know, I, I think that if you have uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, so they say. If Daniel Ricardo is showing signs that his mojo has come back and, you know, he's not lost his little... Um, uh, his confidence okay. has come back. Yeah, you know, whatever. Good for him. And he's not—he's not going to be a, a threat to Max. And they don't need to have a threat for Max. What they want is a solid number two, who can win when Max doesn't, if things go wrong. Okay. And who can score points on all other occasions? Will that be Yuki Tsunoda, or would that be Daniel Ricciardo? My view would be it's probably more likely to be Daniel Ricciardo than Yuki Tsunoda. And they said they're giving him a three-day in-season test in an F1 car. Who? Oh, I read it on the internet, Joe, that he was getting a three-day... No, but who, who's what? having a three-day... Oh, Ricardo. Oh, Ricardo. yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure he is. He has been impressing them in the simulator, so oh. I'm told. There you go, then. Thanks. And I did have a chat with him the other day, and he did say he did say that his mojo is definitely coming back again. He's feeling much better within himself. Um, it was quite hard to have a chat with him because, you know, he's constantly battling selfies. But um, <laughs> we did actually manage to have a a, a conversation in the paddock in Montreal. Yeah, and that's that that's just you, isn't it? Going, come on, Daniel, please. No, Joe, you've had enough. You've had enough selfies from me, Joe. No, it's not just me. I mean, it, 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 trying to get a conversation with anybody in Formula One these days in the paddock is almost impossible because 27 people leaving. Go, please don't mind if I interrupt. I'd like to have a selfie with Junta. <laughs> I'd like to have a selfie with Toto. Or I'd like to have a selfie with absolutely anybody apart from you. I don't care whether <laughs> they want selfies or not, but, you know, the fact is I'm trying to do my work. You know, that's part of Formula One's success is that um, Liberty is allowing more people to pay money to get into the paddock and they grab their opportunities. I have um, asked for to do and selfies. Got. I don't understand selfies. I, did he, I mean, can someone explain to me what is the value of a selfie? Look, I'm standing next to somebody famous. Does that make me famous? It's the, it's the equivalent of the autograph, isn't it? I've got a selfie of you and me, Joe. I asked for one and got one. There you go. There you go. Maybe, but. Uh, is it really like an autograph? Uh, yeah, it's exciting. I I would say, yeah, My th- the time I reached out and I got an autograph with a marker pen from Peter Shilton, w- w- it was as, was as good as the selfie I got with you, Joe. Oh, that's what I would say. They're about, yeah, about I would bloody well hope so. Peter Shilton's <laughs> a, a serious legend, you know. I'm just a mere hack, hack about in the Formula One paddock. So. But don't, don't catch up with his Twitter feed. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't ruin the legend. Okay, anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, yes, some more... Driver rumours. Uh, so Lewis Hamilton, that's the that's the big news. Uh, the Some of the bigger clickbait news websites are trying to whip up controversy like they do every time with Lewis Hamilton's contracts. They do seem to take a while to iron out and finish off. So we always get this little period of speculation. Yeah, but does anyone honestly think that the number of sandwiches that are being provided will cause Lewis Hamilton to walk away from the sport? No. It's just darn silly, isn't it? Um, he's going to resign. He's going to resign for a period of time, be it one year, two years. Maybe he does want to be an ambassador for 30 years to come, and that takes some discussion. But the fact is, he has a value. 
and they have to work out exactly where the value is. And it's not, it's not like they're, they're sort of hitting each other with axes. They're just having a, well, how about that? You know, what if I, if I get 15 years worth of ambassadorial work after this? What do you think? You know, the other thing is that Mercedes are honestly not in a position at the moment to, um, to replace him. So in a way, uh, you know, you know, people will say, well, you could get child, you could get any number of people coming in, contract art, worth anything, et cetera, et cetera. But it takes time for a driver to get up to speed in the team. So, yeah. you know, nowadays you can't just lob Charles Leclerc into Mercedes and think it's going to work instantly because it's not. And uh, it takes time to, to get these things organized. So I think that Lewis will stay on, be it for one year, two years. It won't be more than two, I wouldn't have thought, because he is... He is old, thirty-eight, I think, in, in Formula One terms. Yeah. Um, and there will inevitably be questions about can he still do it? Well, at the moment, he seems to be doing it because you know George is George is now having a sort of oh, he's quite quick, isn't he? Moment. Mm. Um, <laughs> whereas earlier in the season, uh, George was looking a bit better than Lewis. Now it's a little bit more even. So we'll see how it goes. But like most things in Formula One, it differs from week to week, depending on. Um, you know, your results. So, you know, one week, Guan Yu Zhou, everyone's talking about Guan Yu Zhou because he hasn't scored many points this year. And next week, if, if he suddenly finishes fifth, let's just say there's a few cars shunt, the Alfa Romeo team doesn't mess it up. Um, and Guan Yu delivers the goods and he finishes fifth. The week after that, everyone will be talking about how he's going to join Mercedes because of the Chinese market, blah, de, blah, de, blah, de, blah, and all the other rubbish uh. that you read on the internet, all the extrapolation that goes on. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. With so many news sources at the moment, and thank you, by the way, that was Andrew Zarb who was asked that question, anything regarding Lewis Hamilton's new contract. Uh, with so many news sources now, what we get is a massive reaction to any spikes 
and less analysis of overall trends. So, yeah. So, like, for example, I knew that when Mercedes did well in Barcelona, even though they themselves said uh, it probably won't be quite the same in Canada, and they and, and, and you could tell by the track characteristics that you go, well, a bumpy track, stop and go, probably not going to see what they're going to do. Even though everyone knew that well in advance, you still had to brace for the wave of, is this upgrade washed? A false dawn for Mercedes. That's just the way. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is that uh, most of the people writing this stuff haven't got the faintest idea how Formula One works. They are self-declared F1 journalists. They've never been to a paddock. They've never been in a, they've never talked to anyone in Formula One, most of them. They're just sitting at home making it up. And what you do is you take the facts you can find, i.e. stuff that people who are there have produced, and you extrapolate it into something else. And so you get these ridiculous swings um, based on last week's news. Um, and it's just, you know, I don't know, as a fan, you must go mad because um, trying to find the good stuff, the solid stuff, the sensible, reasonable stuff. And I read stuff and even I go, wow, what a lot of horse <laughs> Sorry, it's a family show. I know, no, but uh, sorry, no, kids. I do. No. You, not, you can bleep it. You can bleep it. It's work, Joe. I'm not going to. Kids, that word has been taught to you by Uncle Joe, not me. It's not my fault. I'm happy to have done it. Every <laughs> kid needs to know that word. It's oh. a useful one. Could you, you can at least swear in French, Joe, giving you French based. Mm, oh, no. oh, he did it. He actually <laughs> well, you did asked it. me to. <sighs> what, what am I supposed to say? Anyway, oh. yeah, go on. No, no, no. Look, uh, we've got a great comment from, from Sandra, actually, in the live chat saying, well, Alonso's 43 and no one's questioning his age, which leads us to another listener question uh, from Ali, who said, Hi, Joe. Uh, I saw that you had apparently mentioned somewhere that Aston Martin engineers thought that Alonso wasn't getting the most out of the car, never mind Stroll. I didn't say that they thought that. I said that they might think that. And there's a slight difference there. I mean, obviously, a lot of it gets lost in translation. But if, if you are an engineer, you are a pragmatist, and you are basing everything on data. And they're looking at the thing and going, I wonder if this car's going as fast as it could do. And, you know, so they are going to be questioning, is Alonso the best person for us? And or could we find somebody better? Somebody 15 years younger than Alonso, who is still incredibly fast and has no other sort of, you know, nothing, nothing else in life that, that um, weighs heavily on them, which is only normal. As you get older, you get slower. It is a fact. Uh, some cases, it's more dramatic than others. They used to say that every time you had a kid, you'd lose, you'd lose a few tenths. You know, I don't think that's necessarily true. I can but, believe that. I can believe well, that. Well, yeah, no, I, I think that's, you know, I think there's an element of truth in that because you have things that become more important in your life and you become less dedicated. Now, I'm not saying that's the case with Alonso, but what I'm saying is that I think people will look at Alonso's age, and he, they will look at what he's achieving with that car. They'll look at the fact that Lance Stroll is not a good guide as to how you know how quick that car is, and they will wonder what would Charles Leclerc do in this car. It's just natural that they would ask that question. Now, can they put Charles Leclerc in that car? No, they can't. But at some point, they might say, "Well, you know, if you look at you know the the, the chances are that." a younger guy is going to be faster than an older guy. And then they'll do, and this is you know, what engineers do, they'll look at the records and they'll say, well, Esteban scored more points. Esteban Ocon scored more points than Alonso at Alpine. And Esteban Ocon didn't match Sergio Perez at Force India. Now, 
this doesn't take into account the fact that times change, people develop and all the rest of this stuff. These are just the numbers yeah, that I, exist. Can I kind of do a small counter in there? It's just yeah. uh, being invested as I am with uh, my co-host being a massive Esteban Ocon fan. So with him touting the points all the time, you know, I was paying close attention to the actual race performances and the the lap times and, and race pace. And it, I, I still got the feeling like Alonso was still the better driver out of those two, the faster Sunday driver out of those two. Yeah, maybe. But he didn't score more points. You know, this this is what the way... DNFs. Well, listen, if you you can you can qualify for on pole position by half a second, but if you can't do two laps in a row without crashing, you're no good to anybody. He so, had some mechanical you know, faults. Just I'm just heading off emails. He did have some mechanical DNFs. Also. Yes, he did have some mechanical DNFs, and I'm sure that if you look into it in any great detail, you can make a oh. wonderful justification for how Fernando Alonso is better than Esteban Ocon. But at the end of the day, he wasn't. Okay, and that is written on paper. <laughs> It is written in virtual paper. It is written there in the world championship results. Now, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, it doesn't matter. It's there. It exists. And that's what people do. They judge on what is their fact, not fiction. And he kept his nose in at Spa and let Hamilton take him out. Hamilton's fault, but I guarantee you Alonso doesn't keep his nose in if that was anyone other but Hamilton uh, at Spa last year. Uh, Well, maybe. Maybe maybe Fernando is becoming. I mean, Fernando is becoming wise in his old age. He let he let Lance finish ahead of him the other day in uh, in Spain, didn't he? Unless he was just tired, and that was just a good way no, to say. No, he wasn't it. tired. He could easily have got him. I'm pretty sure, and he was just smart <laughs> enough to realise that the paycheck that he enjoys enormous amounts of um, is better served by him fi- finishing just behind his teammate in that particular occasion. And saying nice things about him on all other occasions, because it's very clear that Aunt Stroll hasn't got what's necessary. And Alonso is just saying it because his dad's the team boss. For the record, I, I bet that Alonso's still quite fast and good. Yeah, so do I. I think he is too. But I'm just telling you what engineers, mm. being pragmatic souls, will be saying. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying Fernando's finished. And I'm sure that in translation, I've been abused by a few Spaniards in the last couple of weeks after writing this because they haven't fully understood what I wrote. You know, it's just it's just the way of the world because Google Translate doesn't deal with subtlety awfully well. Mm. Fernando Alonso fans, they they do defend. They go hard. They do. They do. But, uh, you know, I can go hard back, too. I don't mind. Don't fight all Fernando Alonso fans. Be very tired. I don't fight all. I don't fight anybody's fans. I'm just saying, you know, if you if you want to come and abuse me, you can. But actually, I don't like people abusing me, so I just chuck okay. them out. You know, I, I block them on I thought, Twitter and stuff. I thought that was going to be a, a plug for the show. Like, if you want to abuse me, you can by joining us live on Miss Apex Podcast. Like and subscribe. I'll leave you to do that. Oh, yes. okay. you're, you're far better at turning <laughs> these things into um into promotional opportunities than I am. Tom Power has a question, Joe, so let's get into it. That's that's what the TikTokers do. They say the topic and then they say, let's get into it. So Okay, very good. So you're a positive TikToking influencer. Yeah, yeah, it person. makes us seem yeah. young. Okay, uh, Tom Power has a question. Let's get into it. Hi, Joe. What would be your preferred track for the sprint? And then you've already answered him on Twitter saying, none of them. Yeah, I hate sprint. You do? I don't think I've ever asked I don't, you. I don't like them because they are, what do they achieve? If they if they happen at racetracks where you can't overtake, you're just giving somebody, um, you just give the pole man an advantage. It, it, it's <clears throat> it's an, it's not as bad as reversing the grids, but I just don't see the point. I'd much rather have traditional 
Well, effectively now, as it doesn't impact on the grid, it doesn't matter anymore. Yes. But um, uh, last year, it annoyed me. Um, and I, you know, I understand why they do it. You get more people watching TV, et cetera, et cetera, generates more money, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not a fan. I'm I'm not either. And but they are determined to push it and they're determined to do it more. It's obviously a, a sprint weekend here at the Austrian Grand Prix on Sunday as well. So Saturday, there will be a sprint race that scores its own points that is decided by a qualifying session on Saturday morning but it's unrelated to the qualifying session on Friday that will set the grid for Sunday. It's a bit much. Yeah, it's very, com- it's very complicated. That's the first thing. Secondly, you get this situation about have they really won a Formula One race? And the answer is no, they haven't. Um, uh, and I just, you know, I understand the additional numbers. I understand that you want to build up um, something for everybody all through the weekend. That's all fine. But I just don't like it. I like it better than it setting the grid, but okay, yes, yeah. absolutely, I agree with that. So, but I, then I don't see the point because you know you have an entirely separate race. What's the point? So we are Miss Apex podcast, and there will be some footage coming coming out. We are going to be, and I did invite Joe. We're going to be karting at Brighton Karting this weekend, and it's on a Saturday. And I didn't realise it was a sprint weekend, so I made sure to everyone, you know, I put out feelers. I said, "Would you miss our event because there's a sprint weekend on?" And honestly, it was almost universal, like, derision. No, of course I wouldn't not come to something because of a sprint weekend. But you would think about missing something for a Grand Prix. So it definitely doesn't hold the same place in people's hearts, I don't think. The the other thing it does, um, which is not to be underestimated, is that it takes away time for the teams to prepare. In other words... Um, time they would normally spend doing preparation work for the race, for the qualifying, is used up um, in other ways. Therefore, they are less well prepared. Therefore, it will be um, less predictable. So this is part of the thinking of sprint racing, which is you just make for less predictable weekends. Like in Canada, we had rainfall. We had sessions going wrong. And therefore, we had an unpredictable grid. We had Leclerc and Perez and these people way down. Um and normally that wouldn't be the case. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, it, that's part mm. of it anyway. And that's kind of manipulation in my book. Yeah. I, to me, like, we were following it as a, as a crew. And I think everyone just had this feeling that the weekend had been diluted, to be honest. And by the time you got to Sunday, you'd almost had enough. And you'd go, oh, I don't know. I, maybe they count. Uh, maybe. It makes, yeah. it makes life as a, as a journalist more complicated, too, I have to say. It's not special. I just want things the way they've always been. Hey, Joe, 50 minutes in. Time has flown and you've got quite a few questions left. So why don't we rat-a-tat through them a little bit more quick fire? Let's see. Uh, Lee, uh, Lee Broxham says, Drokovic versus whoever wins Formula 2. Who has the more chance of an F1 seat next year? Do you follow the Junior Series very closely? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, and I think that Drogovic is far more likely. Oh. Simple as that. Oh. Yeah, because it's more preparation time. You know, Dragovic has proved, uh, and he's sat around through a series of Grand Prix weekends learning how to do it, how teams operate. He's tested the car. He's been in the simulator a lot. He's better prepared than the guys in Formula 2. Added to which yeah. the guys in Formula 2 this year, I'm not overly excited by them. Fair enough. And how, when's the last time we saw like the Formula 2 champ just jump into an, an F1 seat? You know, it doesn't seem to happen all that often. Well, it anymore. happened with Schumacher. Um, oh, yes. Russell. Which was mm. not necessarily a good idea. It happened with George. 
Um, and you go back. I mean, the good ones do come through. Charles, I think. Uh, or was Charles the champion? I can't remember. Um, I think he was. I can't remember. Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, the best ones will come through. Um, and then sometimes they won't. The other thing about Formula 2 is there's always occasional questions about the engines, which I don't like at all. Some engines seem to be better than others. Mm, I do always wonder how much of a spec series the spec series is. You only have to go well, rental car. Spec series can never be spec series because you cannot have things that are perfectly balanced. You just can't. It's just not the way it is. No. And if, um, you, if you've ever driven in any rental car series, there's always a rocket ship and there's, a, there's always a couple of duds. Um, so all you can hope for is the kind of excellent kart parity you'll get at Brighton Karting. Go and check out Q Leisure's Brighton Karting, where Missed Apex podcast will be attending in a 42-driver series of 12 sprint races. Brighton Karting. Get your race on. You don't. You fin- yeah, okay. I finished. Yep. Yeah. Okay. What happens next? Oh, I ask a, I ask a question. So this Very could good. be this could be a fun question. Okay, this is from Matt, who says, "Which F1 driver or other F1 personality, current or historic, do you wish you could interview for an hour after a shot of Truth Serum?" Uh, but we have to be careful because this question could also be, "Which F1 driver or other personality do you feel has lied through their teeth to you, and you'd love to get the truth out of?" Michael Schumacher. Oh, was he a bit cagey and uh, did he? Cagey. Cagey was his middle name. Was it? Yeah. No, Michael Schumacher never gave away anything at all, ever. So yeah, I'd like to talk to him. Always, always thought he'd be entertaining to uh, to find out the truth. So was it? Because I think yeah. there's a good guy and a bad guy in Michael Schumacher, which is you know, I'm giving him a lot more uh, benefit than a lot of people would. But, you know, he proved the bad guy a lot. But I think there was a lot of good guy in him, too. And I'd like to find the balance between the two. It's impossible now, of course. But, you know, um, you ask a, a rhetorical, not rhetorical even, a uh, theoretical question. And so I've replied in a <laughs> theoretical sense. What, what, do we, what, what would you speculate that you'd have, you'd have got out of him? Because like, if you look at his, you know. The good guy. The, is that what you think? The good guy yeah. would come out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm usually very good at finding good guys in people. Mm. I mean that that's in my in my experience with interviewing people over the over periods of time. Um, I'm much better at finding good guys than I am at finding bad guys. So you have to have the you have to have somebody willing to op- open up. A lot of people are uh, a defensive out in public, and then that makes them come across as a bit more aggressive and a bit more difficult. When really all well, they're doing is just guarding themselves. They have to. They have to trust you. That's the point. They have to trust that you won't twist their words into something. And that takes time to achieve. So, you know, uh, building trust is a is a difficult thing to do, and it takes time. And what happens nowadays is that there's very little time you get with people to build the trust. So it becomes more difficult. And you then you have more and more um, people fabricating stories, twisting things, doing all these kind of things that makes them more defensive. So, you know, it, it's it's a very difficult balance to find. But when, when when people say the media as one solid group, you, it's not one solid group. It's a rainbow from raving lunatics and fantasists on the one hand to devious, nasty people on the other. And somewhere in the middle, there are some people who actually do it because they're trying to tell the story as it is. Mm. Yeah. So just you and Medland, just stick stick with that. There you go. There's well, there are more than just eggs. me and Medland, but, you know. Yes, in, in principle, there are two. Um, there, there's a little core of people in the middle who who are um, 
trying to tell the story as it is, not twisting everything into knots. Who is your favourite other F1 journalist? That is a leading question in which I am not going to reply. Aww, okay. Who do you hate? <laughs> no, I am not going to reply to that one either. Fine, although there fine, are a number fine. of people who would qualify. Um, Don't worry, I know. I'll, I'll tweet it. Tips. I'll tweet it later. He's told me already. Uh, right. Bye -bye. So okay. Paul, Paul Gittins says, oh, this is good. Any rumours on who is the most advanced furthest or furthest behind in the 2026 engine development it seems a long way away but time flies it's going to be the next kind of big development to hit us and surprise us isn't it 2026 yeah i don't think there's any indication at all as yet as to um where things are there's rumors of course there are rumors that audi's not doing very well there's rumors that honda aren't doing very well there's rumors of all kinds of stuff really but, um well yeah there's there's no budget with the honda thing Oh, uh, they're starting. They're starting from absolutely the lowest possible case because all the original crew who built the Red Bull engines have all disappeared off doing other things. So um, you have to start again. And I mean, Honda has a habit of of taking out all the best engineers and bringing in a bunch of new ones because uh, it's for them. Formula One is about teaching their engineers how to work quickly oh. and cleverly. It's a learning right. exercise, and which means that they, they, they often handicap themselves by moving the good guys on before the good guys can um, get to full fruition. That's really interesting. That is a really interesting insight. So in a way, is Red Bull powertrains more of the old Honda than the new Honda will be? Uh, no, not at all, because I'm sure they're starting from a, from a completely blank sheet of paper and they've got all kinds of people coming in from different places. So... You know, you're, I, I, I saw somewhere that some Mercedes, uh, some Ferrari people are joining Mercedes soon. A lot of Mercedes people have gone off um, to work at Red Bull. Some have gone off to work here, there, everywhere. Um, so people are moving around. They've got to get everything settled down. And then they've got to uh, work on the regulations that exist, and they've got to make it all work with sustainable fuel. So, you know, there's lots of questions, and I don't think anyone can really say with any um, sense of reality that uh, we have anybody ahead or behind. Oh, okay. That's in, in any case, it was interesting to to explore your views on those various engine manufacturers. Uh, let's see, Christopher Fonseca would like to uh, ask about Ferrari. So, what do you think the Ferrari team in twenty twenty four will look like? Am I right in thinking that both both Charles and Carlos would like to jump ship? Um, I don't know if that's fair or not. They're not delivering the goods. They haven't delivered the goods for years. Um, do they want to jump ship? If somebody came along and offered them, if someone sensible came along and offered them the earth, just assume that uh, Aston Martin decided that they wanted to hire Charles de Clare, just mm. hypothetically speaking, and you're Charles de Clare, and you've been having a really frustrating time for years and years at um, Ferrari. And if Aston Martin were willing to pay you more, negotiate your contract out for you um, and give you a car that's probably going to be better than the Ferrari next year, would you not take it? I don't know in terms of anything like that would happen, but I'm just saying in a theoretical world, that could happen. Um, and Carlos, to a lesser or greater extent, because you know Carlos is still um, not, not quite on the same pace as as Charles, I don't think. He can be, but not all the time. Charles has got this little bit of extra. So, um, you know, the chances are they'll stay where they are and be frustrated for longer. 
Um, is Ferrari going to get out of the mess they're in? Hmm, that's another question. It's, you can probably guess, though. Well, based on the last 15 years, I think it's fair to say that um, the chances of winning the World Championship are pretty low. And look, am, am I reading like this right? Because I always say about Ferrari, I'm always having an argument with Ferrari fans pre-season. They look at testing and they go, it's this year. Ferrari, and they, they might even look promising on the first few weekends. Like that they've done for like a lot of times over the last 10 years. And then they just disappear in the season. Is it is it just the philosophy like they can't develop or do they actively start getting things wrong through a season? But every season at the start, Ferrari fans massively get their hopes up. I think that's the nature of being a Ferrari fan. Poor. You are just you are just um, wildly optimistic beyond reality. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we just I mean, just if, you, if you look back, that brush. if you look back, there was the Jean Todd era where he basically removed Ferrari from its. Uh, the crucible in which it sits, or the cooking pot, and he put it inside a pot inside the cooking pot and protected it from the outside a little bit. And then they, over time, and it took them a long time, you know, they they then began to win races because the team was confident in itself. It didn't have all the extraneous influences, didn't have somebody who was firing people left, right, and centre. You only got fired if you really did something really bad. Um, And that's what you need. You need stability. And... uh, I think the problem at Ferrari at the moment is that nobody's really quite certain what's going on in the higher echelons of the company. Um, you know, Fred Vassar is there running it and saying he's in charge, but we all know that that's not strictly the case because if, you know, if if Vigna or uh, Elcon can decide something else, then it's something else, isn't it? Uh, Mike Stoner in the live chat is encouraging Ferrari fans saying, don't jump ship. Ferrari will definitely come good next year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. Mike, that is so cruel. And you're getting lots of lovely comments in there. Uh, Tom says, Joe sure is a no BS kind of guy. And then lots of people speculating correctly or incorrectly about journalists that you like or don't like. They can speculate away. Okay. Like I said, I'll tweet it later, don't worry. And I am not not denying or... uh, (laughs) Confirming. Commending or denying. I'm not doing either. Uh, let's see where should we go a couple more questions for you joe if you've got the time to to hang with us uh, ronald says do you see a way for mclaren to to the top in their current setup as a team with a customer engine if not what should norris do well i don't see them getting to the top no. because you can't get to the top with a customer engine and i see them getting a, a manufacturer engine deal i think they'd like to get one um and obviously gm would be a nice thing for them to go after but is that going to happen I don't know. I'm not sure I can see that happening. Do they have the necessary? We'll have to see. Um, And is it a good place for Lando to be? Well, that's a very good question too, because Lando's also got to cope with Piastri, who's very good. And so he might think, if there's a better option higher up the grid, um, that he might want to go and look at that, if somebody wants him. This this thing of you can't win it with a customer engine, it's fine. But you can be Aston Martin and look way better than McLaren with a customer engine. It's not the customer engine. Yeah, but they're not back. looking better than Mercedes now, are they? They yeah. were. But McLaren have been like bottom end for like a, a majority of the last 10 years. They can't keep blaming that on a Mercedes engine. No, but look, in the history of Formula One, before the Braun team came along with that particularly strange glitch, the number of customer engines after the Cosworth era that won races 
is you can count it on one hand. You can absolutely count it on one hand. Uh, Alpha Tori won one with Vettel. Um, and uh, I think it was still Alpha. It was uh, Toro Rosso, wasn't it? That one with Gasly. But otherwise, it just doesn't happen. And, you know, it's it's all very well to say, well, it did happen in the past. Yeah, well, that 2009 is nearly 15 years ago now. Ricardo Monza 20. 20 okay yeah. 21, yeah. 21, yeah yeah he did win that one well that's only because the other's messed up isn't it yeah but well like you said earlier joe yeah but they're the not stats... going to win world championships doing that my, no. my point is you can mess up one weekend mm. and somebody can come through and win but you're not going to mess oh, yeah. up the whole season and, and and win a world championship except in the case of braun where that was a massive cock up so if we drop in a GM engine as good as the Mercedes one into the McLaren, it's not going to change anything though, is it? Because they just, they still, they've not got the car package to get, to get up there. I don't think the engine's going to change it. Well, we don't know, do we? Mm. We don't know any of that because if you hire the right people, then you, you, your chassis will get better and you, you get the right engine, then your engine will get better and you put the two together and it all works and you don't mess it up and then you can win. So they but just need... There's an awful lot of ifs in there, don't yeah, there? I was going to say, so they just need like a much better car design and a brand new engine manufacturer to come in with a banging engine and then they're all over it. I think you're right. And, pl- yeah. and plenty of money to run it. Yeah, yeah, and loads of money. Money's brilliant, isn't it? You can do loads of stuff with money. All right. Take Ma- your word for it. <laughs> Michael, Michael, I, I watch TV shows, that's all. Michael Holler, uh, let's make this the last one then. Joe, Pirelli versus Bridgestone. Might be Firestone. Oh, yeah. Why? Um, if I was Bridgestone and I looked at my sales figures, um, they sell most of their tyres in North America and their brand is Firestone over there. So I think, and that would suit Formula One. Formula One would really like to have an American tyre company or even if it's disguised as you know, a Japanese company disguised. I don't know. We'll see. At the end of the day, it's down to money um, and uh, a little bit down to what the technical capabilities of the tyre companies are, but fundamentally most tyre companies can do what they're asked to do um, and design tyres that uh, do what the racers want, or not as the case may be, do what the governing body wants. <laughs> um, but I think that if if Bridgestone made an offer to the Formula One group saying we'd like to come with Firestone, that's very American um, and very kind of in the uh, in the in the future tradition of formula 1 i can see them um going down that path excellent thank you so much for your time joe thank you live chat for staying with us if you want to help fuel joe's journeys around the world uh, you can drop in your appreciation in the super chat in youtube or you can support me at patreon.com forward slash missed apex enjoy austria joe bring an umbrella well, yeah, you, you could also read all my stuff and send me money in the post. That's always a good plan. If, well, we're, if we're going, if we're doing the old well, you know, raising we cash routine, yeah, let's uh, um, let's put link, <laughs> let's put links to all your stuff in the show notes, guys. So go and scroll left, right, up, or down on the device you're watching this on. And and, and let me just point out at this at this moment in time that that Alpine sale thing, which just went through this week, first appeared. In the JSBM newsletter, <laughs> and Spanners can relate to this because he gets a free copy. I do mates rates of zero. Um, and that was in about, um, yeah, ooh, was, yeah. that would have been in about January or February I first mentioned that was going to happen. It does make me feel slightly clever, cleverer and, and plugged in. So that is, that's a good one, the JSBM newsletter. But my favourite is your green notebook. Joe, that's my favourite. 
the yes, blog. Yes, well, parts of the parts of the JSBM newsletter appear in the Green Notebook. Too. Ah, there you go. There you go. Anyway, it's all that's all about traveling the world, isn't it? So and follow Joe at Joe Sayward on Twitter, guys. We will see you on Sunday, and I'll be sounding a lot croakier after our trip to Brighton Karting. And look out for the video that will show you the events that we had there and make you feel like you've missed out, and you will have done. But don't worry, we're going to be organising some more karting in around August or early September. Until then, until Sunday, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Are we done? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.